0: of the Evangelical Community Church off-island to worship Christ who was slain, and we we do that by seeing our God revealed, and He is revealed as we focus on His Word together, as we read His Word, and as we sing His Word, and as we pray His Word, and now as we will hear His Word, it is indeed all about the Word of God who is Christ Himself. And it is incumbent on us as a faith family to see God revealed through His Word and then for us to respond to His Word. For indeed, we did not come here as spectators. For our God is not a spectator. He is here. He is present through the power of His Spirit. And He is not just a casual observant. God is actively working through the proclamation of His Word as we hear and sing and read all of these things that we are doing together, to focus on God's word is the way that God has ordained that he transforms people's lives for his glory, and that is why we are here. And so I would like you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, for that is our text for this morning, Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, and I'm going to read that, Romans eight, eighteen through 25. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Father, we thank you for giving us this morning to focus on you, to see you revealed through your word, and may we respond to you, Father. May we not be just passive listeners, but may we truly be engaged as we commune with you. And as we see you revealed, may we respond to you with renewed faith and repentance. Father, may we be a people that pursue you, that we be white-hot worshipers of your Son, that you be glorified and that you, Christ, be made supreme in our lives, in our church, and in this country and to every nation on this planet. Our hearts desire to see you lifted up, Jesus. And so we pray this morning that you would allow us to respond to your word and that we would glorify you by making and developing disciples. Thank you for our time together. I pray you would bless it through the power of your spirit, and in your name and for your glory we pray this. Amen. We've been in a a teaching series the last couple of weeks, and it is called What is the Gospel? And so if it's your first time here, we are thrilled to have you. Thank you for being patient as you found the seat this morning. As you heard our elder um. One of them, Earl, pray earlier that we are seeking God's face on what we're to do with the growing church. But thank you for your patience with the transition, with kids finding their seats and in, in, their, in their rooms. Um, so if you are new, just to give you a brief review, this series, What is the Gospel? We focused last week on four words. And so the gospel in four words. The first word is God. A good starting place, right? We are, we are in a gathering of God's people. We focus it on the word, so number one, God, good place to start. The key words describe who God is, that he is the righteous creator. He is holy. He is creator. We are accountable to him. Second, so God, number one. Second, man. Man, he is the condemned sinner. And not just man, ladies, but all humanity. All, all humans, so mankind. So God and then man. But what about man? Again, condemned sinner. If we're really honest... We don't want justice because God's justice upon us would send all of us to hell for eternity. And so we might want justice or we might think we want justice, but really we don't because if God would maintain his justice upon us, then we would have no hope of ever being with him for eternity because we have broken his laws and we are condemned and we are guilty. God, man, third key word is Christ. What did Christ do? Well, he endured God's justice. God was just. He maintained his holiness and his justice. How? He executed that justice on the person of Jesus Christ. His wrath, we saw last week, from early in the book of Romans, his wrath was poured out on Jesus. And so God maintained his justice, his holiness, by having Jesus pay the price that you and I deserved, And so now we are treated with grace, and we have forgiveness. Because Jesus paid it all. So God, man, Christ, forthward response. This is the gospel. That God is good and that we are not, and Christ made a way because of the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. And so we must now, number four, respond to the message. This is not a passive message. It's like if you ever watched a movie and it was just a dumb movie. And someone said, hey, so how was the movie? Ah, whatever. And no, no, no how was the movie? Ah, whatever. That movie wasn't any good. It's not worth commenting on. Well, you can say whatever to many things in life, but you cannot say whatever to the gospel. Whatever, whatever is not a response to the gospel. Either you say yes or you say no. There is no whatever response to the gospel. Either we say yes, there is a God. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, Christ died on the cross for me. Yes, I repent and believe. Or we say no no, there is no God, no, Christ didn't die for me, no, I'm not a sinner, and so, no, I don't need God's grace. But you don't really have another option. You say yes, or so you say no to the gospel. And we as a church have said yes. We're gospel-centered. We have responded, and I pray each of you have individually, with faith and repentance, for that is the response that is demanded by Jesus through the gospel. Now, the gospel, as we've been looking at, applies to us individually. So as individual people, it applies to you. And so it's very personal. And so your faith is personal. And it is you as an individual must respond to God's message of the gospel. But the truth is the gospel is not just about you as an individual. The gospel is much bigger than you or me or any of us individually. The gospel does not only treat a, have a solution, if you will, for your personal sin. The gospel is also cosmic. So the gospel is personal for you and me, but it's more than that. It's cosmic. Now, when I say cosmic, you're like, well, I'm not sure what you mean by the word cosmic. I'm talking about universe. I'm talking about the universe. This entire planet and beyond this planet, the entire universe is affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ God is displaying his glory through the gospel to his entire creation and so the context for the gospel is not primarily concerned with your salvation or even for your benefit it's not about my benefit the gospel the context in the Bible it's much bigger than than my salvation or, or your problems or anything little that we may have, the context of the gospel is the, the supremacy of Christ and the glory of God. That's what it's about first and foremost. And so the gospel message is of God redeeming the world. So there's a key. It's a message of God redeeming the world by the sacrifice of his son for his glory. So it's much bigger than you or me. And so the four key words from last week, God, man, Christ, response. That is the gospel, individually. It's the way you respond to the gospel as an individual person. But the gospel applies to God's work for all of creation, the whole cosmos, everything that he's made in the universe. And so today we're going to the gospel in four words. You're like, four words? Yes, four different words, four new words that describe the gospel. But this time, how does this gospel apply to what God is doing in the entire created order? Because God is at work in the world and it's bigger than just you and your salvation. It's about the redemption of the entire created order. It's cosmic. It's big. So the four words for the gospel in reference to everything, creation, it's creation, fall, Redemption and consummation. We'll look at these in detail, but just so you know what they are. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Those are the four words that describe the gospel, how it applies to the entire universe. And so God, man, Christ responds is, if you will think, think of a camera, a lot of you are photographers in here. It's the focus. It's so your, your camera lens is really zoomed in and focus on one object. It's individual, it's very narrow focused. That is the gospel for how you must respond to it personally. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation is the wide angle lens of looking at what God is doing in the world more holistically. And so think of it this way. God, man, Christ responds is the microscope that looks at your individual response to the gospel the other four words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, I'm sorry, consummation rather, is the view from Google Earth. And so when you go on your computer and you type in your address, if we had addresses in the UAE, but, or if, if, if you just zoom in, and you can see your house, you can see your car, I mean, it's like it's kind of weird. But, but you can see your street. Okay, But the thing is, when you zoom out and you go further out on Google Earth, you you see the whole planet. And so when you're looking on Google Earth, you don't see every single human being that's on the face of the Earth. What you see is the context where every single person on the face of the Earth, where they live. And so we talked about how we must live the gospel. So these four words for today give you the context of where we must live. And so think of it this way. God is a storyteller. We all like stories, and if you don't think so, ask yourself why is the cinema, why is Hollywood a multi-billion dollar organization? Why do you go watch movies? Because you wanna hear the story. That's why you watch TV shows. That's why we waste our time on so many things that you think, why am I watching this? Because I want to hear the story. We love stories. Why? Because our God is a storyteller. And he's made us to love stories. And so Hollywood, for all of its paganism, I don't respect it very much. They're storytellers. Sometimes not very good stories, but that's what they do. God is the ultimate storyteller. God is telling a story. And that story has one main character, and it has one main theme. And the story of the world, the one true story of the world, the grand narrative, if you will, the big story that God is telling is called redemption. That's the story that God is telling. And the one main character is Jesus who accomplishes that redemption. He is the protagonist. He is the hero of the story. The antagonist who is trying to stop the hero is, of course, Satan and sin and death. But the hero wins in the end. And this is no fairy tale. This is a true story that God is telling. And so these four words of the gospel help you understand the story of the world. And you and I find ourselves in God's story. The focus of human history is Christ being displayed as supreme, as the king who has conquered. And your life with all of its ups and downs is a part of the story that God is telling. And so the more you understand the gospel personally, God, man, Christ, and your response, and the more you understand the overall story of creation redemption and consummation, the more you understand the gospel, both personally and cosmically, the more glory you will see in Christ and the more you are captivated by him, the more beauty and glory you see in Jesus, the more your life will be transformed and the less the sin that drags us down will have a hold on you. And so my agenda with this teaching series is that you will see more glory in Jesus, that you will better understand his gospel and that it will lead you to have transformation. That you will live on mission for him and glorify him by making and developing disciples in your everyday life. And so let's look at this in more detail. We, we just read the passage in Romans 8. Look at these four words. So the first one, of course, is creation. Okay? If we're going to apply the gospel, we have to understand where God is beginning to tell the gospel story. It began with him creating. God, as a creator, points to how he is everlasting, how God is eternal, how God is all wise, and he is beautiful, and he's extremely intelligent. He is God, he knows everything. And as a creator, he is displaying that. But you see, God's character is good, and so because God is good, what he creates is equally good, and he used his very breath to. Create the world. Genesis 1.1 is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you go to verse 3 in that same chapter, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And so you see that same pattern that God is creating. And God is saying, And God saw. And God said. So God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And you see that repeatedly, several times in the first chapter of Genesis. God said, and it was, it just existed because he said it. God said, and it was, and God saw that it was good. Is, is a refrain that you read repeatedly in Genesis chapter 1. You see, because God did not create as an end in itself. You see, we have to think of this with means and ends. There's a big difference. The end is the goal, the purpose. The means is how you get there. And so the means is what you have to use to get to the end. And so if you're building a house, your means will be your materials, what what you use, the brick and so forth that you use, that is your means. The end is the place to live. And so the means is what you use to get to the end. It's like with my marriage. The end, what I want is intimacy. And guys, that's not just sexual. I'm talking physical, not just that. I'm talking emotional, relational, holistic intimacy. That's what we want. Men and women both want that. That is the end. That's what our hearts yearn for. As we're glorifying God in marriage, then we have intimacy. When we're not having intimacy in our marriage, I can guarantee you're not glorifying God in your marriage. And so the end is glorifying God. And when you do that, you're, you're experiencing intimacy. But what are the means, husbands? Wash the dishes for your wife on occasion. Pick up your underwear from the floor. Help her with the kids. These are things that you do. Listen to her. Don't forget her birthday. Bonnie says tomorrow. I haven't forgotten. The things that we do, these are the means, the things that we do for the end. The end is glorifying God and having intimacy. That is the end. But the means, the things that we do to get there. You see, God's end in creation is worship. That's what God is after. That's what God wants most is to be recognized as beautiful and wise and all-knowing. And he wants us to see his beauty and his glory. And he wants to be worshipped. And so what is the means? Creation. God created so that he could be worshipped. He created as the means to the end. And his end is that we would see. And you see it all over the Bible. In Isaiah 55, verse 12, it says, The mountains and the hills break forth into singing, and all the trees of the fields clap their hands. And so even the trees and the fields and everything clap their hands for the glory of God. There's, again, in Isaiah, Psalm 148 says that the sun and the moon praise him, and all the shining stars, they praise the Lord. The stars themselves are singing and shining brightly for Jesus. The stars do it. The animals do it. The creation, the hills, the the trees, everything in creation is pointing to something, something bigger than itself. Creation is meant to be a signpost pointing up to heaven itself. And so the stars, they shine for him. And the mountains and the trees are so big and grand, and you see it, and your heart is moved to worship him. The heavens declare The glory of God, the heavens are God's handiwork. And so the goodness of creation, because God the creator is good, is pointing to something greater than itself, to the creator. But what about humans? Same thing. We too were created to worship. We too have been created, like the rest of creation, we're a part of creation. We have been created to see something bigger than ourselves, to see something beyond ourselves, to marvel at it, to desire it, and then to love it with zeal, with all of our affections. We're created to worship. We're created to worship God. But the problem is that oftentimes we don't worship God. We find things in creation that catch our gaze, that we marvel at, that we desire, that we want. And so that is called idolatry. That's worshiping something that's not God. and We do it all the time. We take other things that captivate us, and we give our hearts to it. But so here's the thing. Don't be confused or deceived. We are always worshiping, always. A minute isn't passing by where you're not worshiping something, because that's what we do. God made us to worship. So the question is not, are you worshiping? The question is, what or who do you worship? And the goal is, as a creator, for us to worship him. And so in in our, our lives, everything that God has given to us is designed to spur worship, to ascribe worth and value to. That's what worship is, ascribing supreme value to, ascribing worth too. That's what worship is. And so God created everything for us to worship Him. So for example, when you go to your favorite restaurant, whatever it is, and you take that bite, and you just think, oh, it's so good. And the flavors explode in your mouth. And you just smile because you can't help it because it tastes so good. Like my kids, every Tuesday, I take my son out for breakfast. Every Thursday, I take out my daughter for breakfast. And they, so I, I, I spoil them, you know, and can get whatever you want, and they'll get a milkshake or something very unhealthy to drink for breakfast. It's terrible, I know. And, and seeing their first sip, and then the smile, and they, they smile. Their face lights up, you know, because they're, they're having a bad, unhealthy drink for breakfast. It tastes so good. When, why did God give you taste buds? Why do you think God made food taste good? So that when you take that bite and the flavor explodes in your mouth, you say, thank you, God. You, you created this flavor, and you allowed me to experience this joy. Thank you, God. And, and when you delight in your wife, guys, and wives, and you really just delight in your husbands, and you just really enjoy the person God's given you to live your life with, when you delight in your children, when you delight in a friend of the same sex and it's a healthy, just really just edifying relationship and you really enjoy and delight in other people, why do you think God made people? So you could see that person, see the face of God because we have God's image and then we should be spurned to say, God, I adore you because you blessed me with these people. When you go to work and you work hard, And you have a sense of satisfaction that I accomplished something and I did something productive today. And that sense of satisfaction, why do you think God gave that to you? So you could be spurred on to worship, driven to worship him, to say, God, thank you that I'm able-bodied and my mind functions and I can go provide for my family and be a contributor to civilization. Thank you for work. Thank you. And we're spurred on to, to worship him with everything in our lives. And so every time that you experience anything in life and you respond, here's the key, God reveals, and then we respond with love and trust and obedience, you are worshiping him. You see, and God created this beautiful balance to exist where he reveals and we recognize it and respond with worship, again, with love and trust and obedience. And and the word that describes this beautiful relationship of the world being in this perfect harmony and being at balance with God's holiness, you know what that word is in the original? Shalom. Shalom. The word means complete. The word means peace. Being in harmony. So that's what God wants. You see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had shalom. Perfect peace, worshiping God, harmony with each other. It was beautiful. But the problem is that we have lost shalom, haven't we? Because the world that we see today is not one of shalom. It is not one of peace and tranquility and of being in harmony with other people, in harmony with God, with us recognizing His beauty and responding with worship as we love God and love others and, and what God designed of this perfect, beautiful existence of worship where we respect each other because we love the Creator and so we respect others because they represent God because they bear His image and there's no violence and there's no rape and there's no abuse and there's no divorce and, and it's just this beautiful piece called Shalom, which is what God designed in creation to worship Him. We don't see that today, do we? What we see as we read, read to you again, Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. For the creation, so all of creation, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It says that creation itself, everything in creation is subject to futility, it says. It's futile, it's not working properly. It's in bondage, it's actually enslaved, it says, to corruption, so all of creation is corrupted. You see, we we look in our own hearts and we see evil, we see selfishness, we see lust, we see laziness, we see all kinds of things inside. But when we look out into all of creation, the world system, guess what? It's evil out there too. It's not just in here, it's everywhere. All of creation, it says, is corrupted. And it's waiting, it says that it's waiting to obtain the freedom and to be set free, the Apostle Paul says, from its captivity. And so you ask, okay, well, if God created the world with shalom, what happened? Why is it corrupted today? The four words, the first one is creation. We looked at that here briefly this morning. Creation, second key word in the gospel, Fall. How do we lose shalom? The fall. If you go back to the story in Genesis 1, you see God creating with shalom in mind, with peace and worship in mind, but we see quickly in God's story that humans rebelled. It was our original father who represents us before God, Adam. He fell, and we follow his example every single day, quite willingly, and we continue to sin. So the world is fallen, our hearts, but the world as a whole. All the creation is corrupted because of the fall. And so we have a broken system. We live in a world that is truly broken, and death is an ever-present reality. And by the way, you see this paradise lost. You see the loss of shalom, of God's original plan for creation, where we would respond to him with worship, love God, love others, and that is lost Because of the fall, and you see it in the whole story. If you read in Genesis, soon after the fall, you see humans are very sinful. You see the flood very soon thereafter because humanity was so corrupted. And then soon thereafter, you see the patriarchs. God calls Abraham and his son Isaac and then his son Jacob to be the forefathers, the patriarchs of our faith. And these men, you can read their story in Genesis. From chapter 11 all the way to chapter 50, you see the story of this family, these patriarchs of our faith. And they were flawed. They were evil. They were selfish. They would lie to each other, steal from each other, deceive each other. I mean, these patriarchs were not models. They weren't paragons of spirituality. They were just like you and me. Flawed and sinful. Yet God used them and brought us, through the sons of Jacob, the nation of Israel. They find themselves in captivity 400 years later. They're enslaved by Egypt. And they're not worshiping God. They're far from God, but God is good. Raises up a man named Moses, and who was equally flawed, by the way. And so, so then, he delivers Israel. They see God's powerful, supernatural delivery. He has saved them. They have this presence with the tabernacle. They have everything they could possibly ask for. They have God's word. They have his presence. And what do they do repeatedly over and over and over and over and over? They forsook God. They would abandon God and go after idols. You see it in the leadership. If you keep reading in the history of Israel, all the leaders, the the judges who led soon after this era, all corrupted. After the judges, what do you have? The kings. First king, very corrupted. You have King David. He was the best one, but equally flawed. His son Solomon, forget it. Adulterer, thousand wives. He was, he was a mess. Terrible king. And all the ones after that, read the story. Corruption, 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 going after idols. And God is there, and God is patient, and God keeps saving them. And they keep going after other idols. And that's the story of the Old Testament. And it's screaming out, we need a Redeemer. We can't do this. We can't bring back shalom. We can't enter back into the garden. It's lost. And you see it over and over, this desire this human longing for shalom, this human longing for the garden, for peace, longing to be close to God and close to others. We long for intimacy and harmony. And it's just nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. And it's nowhere to be found for us today. And you have King Solomon who writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, All things are weariness. He says, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not filled with hearing. There is nothing new under the sun. He's like, I can't find any satisfaction. Can't get no satisfaction. Yeah, he can't. The ears, the eyes, it's not filled. It's not satisfying. And so what he's describing is this broken world system that we're in. And if you're like me, I'm sure there are times that it's not just me, that we can feel like we're in a treadmill, You know the treadmill, right? That torture device in the gym, that evil device where you go and, and you step on, on this contraption where it's spinning around. And, and, and if you stop, it'll, it'll lock you over. And so it forces you to run. And you have just a little screen beeping at how bad you're doing with your, your miles or whatever. And and you work really hard and you run, you run, and you get all sweaty, and then finally the torture is over, and you haven't gone anywhere. You stayed in the same place. It's like you ran and worked hard and got sweaty. You're like, man, I didn't even see nothing. I didn't go anywhere. So you want to go run out here in the in the heat, forget it, you get a heat stroke. It's not so bad this time of year, but it's crazy. And so we can feel like we're in a treadmill. Life can feel like you're trapped, and you're on this revolving treadmill, and you're running, and you're working, and you're sweaty, and you're exhausted with life, but you're like, I'm not even going anywhere in life. Have you ever noticed that you can wash dishes, yet they always get dirty again? It's like you spend all this time, you waste all the water, and and you put the dishes away, and then the next day there's a pile of dishes all over again. And then, and then you go pay your bills, right? And you pay all your bills online, you know, much easier. But then next month, we have to do all over again. Pay the same bills again. And then I go, I go get a haircut, and then I go cut my hair again a month later and waste more time and money. And then I'll sweep the floor, but it gets full of dust like the minute after I just swept. It's like, why even bother dusting in this place? It's, I mean, you, you finish, and then you take a step back. Oh, there's dust again. It's just fascinating to me. <laughs> it's just, I even use pledge. It's not helpful. And I can try to make light of this, but if we're really honest, I mean really, life can feel like a treadmill. Like we're running and working and sweating. And we're exhausted. It's like, am I even, am I going anywhere? What's the point? And for many people, life can seem meaningless, purposeless, and, and, and we can be like King Solomon saying, ah, it's all vanity. Hearts not filled, eyes aren't filled, ears not filled, and life can be weary. And maybe you're here today, and you dragged yourself to church this morning, but deep inside you're wondering, man, what's the point? Nothing's going to change anyway. What? is the point? you see if you feel trapped I want you to understand something from God's Word that he did not listen God did not create us to live that way God did not create us to have this treadmill pessimistic nihilism is a world view view of the world God did not create us to live like that he created you to live a life of passion where you are actively enjoying God and then making Him known to others. He made you to live with vibrancy and to live life in abundance. He didn't come to bring us boredom. He, he, God did not create us for what oftentimes can be our, the way we see life. God did not create that for us. He doesn't want us to live like that. That's not God's design. That wasn't in the Garden of Eden. This mentality, this broken world system is the result of the fall. So you have creation and you have fall. I want to read to you verse 22 before I go to the third key word here. And it says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so it's that creation is in pain, but it defines that pain as childbirth. You see, out of this painfully, my might go up, yes. Uh, I think it was my battery that just went out because I have a red light flashing at me. That's twice in two months now. So we're in a row. And so maybe this morning you think to yourself, you know, I, I can really resonate with the fact that there really is pain. But you have to understand, especially those of you ladies that have given birth, you know that there is excruciating pain in the middle of, of labor. But at the end of labor, you birth someone beautiful and it makes the pain worth it and we're in the middle of pain right now and our world itself is in pain but that is only because these are birth pangs it's not going to last forever the pain will not last forever and so this morning I have a question for you is are you in any kind of pain and if I were to guess many of you would say yes yes I really am and if you wonder, is life really meaningless? The truth is that it's not. There is hope. There is hope. I guarantee you that God's word says that there is hope, and his name is Jesus. There absolutely is. And God has a plan to restore shalom, to bring us back into the garden for eternity, but there would have to be a price that was paid. God could not restore shalom and the pain without there being a price paid for the sin that we committed in causing the fall. So number one in the gospel is creation. Number two is fall. Number three is redemption. The entire Old Testament story is pointing to redemption in Jesus, that we need someone bigger, better, holy, purer, eternal. God himself would have to come. To redeem us and to restore shalom to the entire cosmos, to the entire creation. Verse 23 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who ha- who have the first fruits of the spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, we ourselves are anxiously awaiting that day when Christ returns in full glory. See, the word redemption is very important. It was commonly used in the marketplace, specifically when it came to slaves. When, when you, would, you, you could buy a slave, and then that was your property. And if someone wanted to then free that slave, You had to pay the the redemption price, the ransom price. And so redemption was the price paid to free a slave. And so it says in this same passage that all of creation is in slavery. And we'll look at this more in the next couple of weeks when we talk about the kingdom of God and, and slavery to who and so forth. We'll look at that more in a couple of weeks. But for now, for this, this message, what's important for us to understand is that the world was in slavery to sin itself, to Satan. And there had to be a price that was paid to liberate. And so God had his son die on the cross. It is all about the cross of Christ. That is a point of God's story, is to display his beauty, his glory, his wisdom through the cross, And so that's why you read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The redemption that we have was purchased with the blood of Jesus. That was the price that had to be paid, and so Jesus paid it all, the price to to free us. But you see, it's more than that. You have to understand this. It's bigger than you or me or our personal sin. It's cosmic. The cross doesn't just liberate you from sin. It's liberating all of creation from his captivity to sin. And so God is displaying his beauty, his wisdom as creator and as redeemer. He does it both ways. But see, here's the thing. God's plan is not yet completed. So you have God, man. Christ's response is how you respond to the gospel personally. Fall creation, fall, redemption. Number four, consummation. How God is at work in the entire universe. Number four is consummation. Now the word consummation means to finish, to complete. I won't get too graphic here, but that's why we talk about consummating your marriage. You complete it, you you finish it. God is completing, He is consummating what He started. When he started in the garden with shalom, it was lost. Christ came to reclaim it and one day he's going to complete it. He's going to consummate his plan. Read with me the same passage, verses 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And so these present sufferings, what you are going through today that is just so difficult, what you're going through today that you would consider these present sufferings pales in comparison to what waits for you on the other end when you die or Christ returns and we're together with him and we stand around the throne of God, as we read earlier, and there's no more pain and there's no more tears and we stand justified by the blood of Christ. And we stand there worshiping Jesus forever as the redeemed every tribe and nation and tongue singing to the lamb who was slain. And we will stand there pure with our salvation, complete with glorified bodies, with pain and suffering and sin being a distant memory. Praising Jesus forever because he is the lamb who was slain and God will have consummated completed his plan for you individually but for all of creation as a whole and all of this is to the glory of Jesus so that he reigns supreme that is the gospel and it's so much bigger than just you or me and verses 24 and 25 remind us of this for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope but who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We have hope. And it is our call to patiently wait, to endure, but not just to survive, but to truly thrive as we live for Christ and experience him and his redemption, waiting for the consummation. And again, we read earlier in Revelation 21, this picture of the new heavens and the new earth, when we will once again enter into the garden of eden but this time it's the entire planet and this time there will be no more sin and this time it won't be adam who is the head it'll be jesus messiah who is the head and this time he will not succumb to temptation and on the end when god consummates and we enter back into the garden we have shalom once again it will be for eternity. And that gives us hope to face today with whatever we're going through, whatever is plaguing you today. When you understand creation, fall, redemption, and then the future consummation, when you understand the gospel and your response with God and man and Christ in response, we understand the gospel holistically. It changes everything. It changes everything. And so have you experienced this redemption? Have you in your life responded to God with faith and repentance? I don't presume that everyone in here has, but you can today, and God will forgive you, not because of how good you are, but because of how good Christ was, that he died and was resurrected and is alive today, and he conquered, and he offers you forgiveness if you respond to him with faith and repentance. But for all of us, even those of us that have received Christ and we're trying to pursue Him and we're in this life called sanctification. We'll talk about that more in a few weeks, talking about in the series. But how do we apply this today? You're thinking, give me something that I can apply today. Well, we've been we've been doing that every week in the series. Last week we applied this to our behavior, and we talked that with our behavior, that the gospel has accomplished its work in our hearts when we crave, when we desire Jesus more than anything else, and that will change our behavior. Today we're going to apply the gospel to your work. And so how does the gospel apply to you from 9 to 5? From when you go in the morning and then when you go home, all those hours that you're at work, so your daily work, how does the gospel impact your work? You see, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says that God created Adam to work. It says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and keep it. This is Genesis 2, not Genesis 3. When does the fall come in? Genesis 3. This is Genesis 2 before there was fall this was when they had shalom this was when it was pure and good and beautiful with no sin and god gave adam a job he had a job adam was working god said get to work he was working it is good and holy and god glorifying when you work humans were made to work. Listen to me. Adam and Eve were not put in the garden naked to just frolic around and play all day. I'm sure they did that. But that's not the only thing they did. They were told to work. They had jobs. And Eve was to have children too. That that didn't happen until after. But it could have if they hadn't blown it so quickly. But we do see work in the garden Before, Well, you're thinking, well, I don't understand that. I always thought, I've always heard that work is a curse, that that work is a result of the fall, that work is a result of sin, and that we were supposed to hang in the garden before. That was what we're supposed to do. But now, because of sin, because of the fall, now we have to go to work. That's not true. That's not true at all. God is at work. God's not lazy. God is at work in his creation. And so as his image bearers, we reflect God, and God works. We should work. What sin has done, what the fall has done, is it has corrupted everything, and that includes our work. Sin has corrupted our work, where now it feels like work. Now work is painful, and work is hard, and now the, the, the soil doesn't respond to the kings and queens like it should. It rebels against us. Now we have to toil with the ground. And so work is now a toil. Work is now hard, and it's full of corruption. But from the beginning, work has always been part of God's plan. And when we're in the new earth, we're going to work there too because we had it in the garden. We're still going to work, but it's not going to feel where your work feels now because it will be without sin. It will be pure and good and holy the way God designed, which is why the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Everything that you do, everything that you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so your job might be very difficult. Your your job might just be a pain in the you-know-where. Your boss might be a pain. You might just struggle, and going to work is just miserable. And you came here to provide for your family, and you're thankful for that. But the truth is that living here, working here might be really hard for you. And you might be thinking, you are crazy. You don't know what you're talking about, preacher man or boy or whatever up there. And you don't know what I do at work. And honestly, I, I, I don't. I'm not pretending that I do. But what I'm saying to you is not in my opinion. It's, it's on the authority of God's word, that your work is good. And when you work hard, it glorifies God. People at work are watching you. How you work matters. Because it will make no sense for you to go to work, be lazy, be a complainer, bad attitude, and then say, do you know Jesus? He can change your life. And your coworkers are thinking, I don't want that change and it doesn't look very good to me. Your, your change is one that I don't want. You're a slacker. You come in late. You don't work. You don't, you, you're not good at your job anyway. Okay, that's not a good witness. Do a good job. Get there on time. Don't leave early. Don't steal even little things. Have integrity at work. Don't complain. Don't, don't talk badly about the management. Be a good employee. Do it all for the glory of God. When you go to work, Praise God as you work because you are representing Jesus himself, work as unto the Lord. And so your work is a display of God's glory. It's all about the gospel. And God is reclaiming it. The day will come when your work will not be a pain anymore. The day will come when your work is going to be a delight. But that day is not today, possibly. Ask God to help you to find more joy in it and do it for him. And see work as a mission field. Because it is. Go make disciples where you work. Be intentional. This matters. You spend so many hours at work. People live for the weekend. They hate their jobs. And they just can't wait for Friday and Saturday. Well, don't live like that. God didn't make you to live like that. The gospel is such that it can redeem everything, including your work. Now, those of you that are moms thinking, oh, here we go. Moms who don't have a job, now that's ridiculous because moms have a job. And it's hard. It's a thankless, hard job that no one seems to notice. Sometimes not even the husband doesn't usually say, thank you for changing 19 diapers today. Thank you for being spit up on 14 times today. Thank you for washing all the laundry changing all the sheets, dealing with little children all day, which is quite challenging. And being a mother can be a very exhausting work where you hardly ever hear a thank you, you hardly ever hear a good job, and no one actually pays you except your husband who just burps and gets up on the table and just goes to watch TV, and you're like, what's the point? Why am I doing this? Why am I saying, oh, mom, I don't, okay, here's what you need to know about your work. God sees. God knows. He is pleased. You are investing in your children. You are investing in souls that God created for his glory. And you have the privilege of being called a mother. And there is no higher calling, in my opinion, than being a mother. And so it is incredibly valuable. There is great virtue in being a mother who stays home and helps to raise children that will have a passion for Jesus. When you change those diapers and wash those dishes, know that you are glorifying God. It really does matter. And it's bigger than you. It's about redemption. It's about the gospel. And those diaper changes are part of the gospel, you are caring for your child who will soon, when he goes old enough, you can share the gospel with him or her because they've been cared for and nurtured. It really does matter. The word vocation that we talk about so often, which is my work, that's my vocation, the word means calling. That's what it means in the Latin. And so your vocation is your calling. It's holy and it's good and it's pleasing to God. So may we work well for God's glory. And not just out there, but in here at home and everything that we put our hands and minds to do as a church, as this faith family. May we be about the mission of glorifying God by making and developing disciples. That's what we're about. And may that be what your life is about. It's bigger than us. Please bow your heads just for a moment. I want to ask you just To ask God to speak to you and to respond, it would make no sense for us to come together and to hear from God's word, to have him revealed to us and then not ask for a response. If you have never received Christ, if you have never responded to the gospel with faith and repentance, then you can do so right now. If you have received Christ, then you can just ask God to reveal to you where maybe you haven't been very consistent in how you're living out the gospel every day. Maybe it's in your work, maybe it's in your marriage, wherever God is, even as we speak, speaking to you, your response to him. We do have cards in the back table, and one of People under welcome who would like to speak to you if you have received Christ fill out a card and we can be in touch with you and help you on your journey as you pursue Christ. Father, you are good and you are our creator. We have fallen. You sent your son to redeem and we wait for that day when you will consummate your plan. We thank you for the cross that has made this possible. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of being called to your children. We thank you for our faith family, how we can gather and see you revealed as we respond to you in worship. I pray for anyone in this room that is dealing with whatever is on their heart this morning. And if anyone, even as we speak, is repenting of their sin and turning to you, I pray I pray for that person, for that new believer who as we is being born again of your spirit. We thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you that you are here with us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand a wish of the Lord together.